Blog Talk Radio. It's always a good day when that's what I hear. We're here on Blog Talk Radio, and this is the factors are all the things that lead to it. However, however, here in December, and by the way, launched with the gentleman who's in here with me today, this is now Partners in Excellence Media, the influencers, because what we want to do here is bring you the news. So we are media and we're the influencers for what? For your mind, your business, your heart, your health, your well-being, your freedoms. So welcome. Good morning, Brian Lund. How are you? Good morning, Dr. Deb. I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, you sure are. So by the way, yeah, I'm Dr. Deb Carlin, and we are co-hosting this show. And actually, Brian Lunt and I are going to be doing a show twice a week. On Tuesdays, we're going to be doing the St. Louis Business Club, which, oh, I love this thing, and you're going to learn all about it. And then on Thursdays, he and I are coming together for Riding a Lion, stories about entrepreneurship. So what in the world are you thinking about in terms of that? So I have been on this entrepreneurial journey for five plus years. And uh, in the last couple of years, I was um, given this quote, or I came across this quote uh, by a CEO who has gone through the ebbs and flows of entrepreneurship and business building. And it just, it hit me the right way. And so this quote that he said when he was uh, asked about entrepreneurship is he said, entrepreneurship is like riding a lion. People look at him and think, this guy's really got it together. He's brave. And the man riding the lion is thinking, how in the hell did I get on the lion? And how do I keep him getting me? And I just love that quote because I do my best to project a very confident uh, persona. I am very authentic with people yeah. and I do well in front of others. But at the same time, I think as an entrepreneur, we are constantly battling this day-to-day struggle of things are great, things are terrible, things are mediocre, <laughs> I'm excited, I'm sick. It's this range of emotions that comes to businesses and people. Right. Uh, it's fantastic, but it's also like riding a lion. So uh, I thought it, it just really encapsulated what I believe when it comes to entrepreneurs. So as a lifelong entrepreneur, <laughs> I can tell you, yeah, I love lions, and, and, and when you and I actually talked in advance about that, and you described it to me, I thought, no wonder I have issues with emotions. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, been, it's been a way of life. So tell me, what, 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 what is an entrepreneur? Is, can you get a degree in entrepreneurship and that makes you an entrepreneur? Do you have to be self-employed? Do you have to join a club? What is it? No, I think uh... – you know, entrepreneurial thinking is really what it is rooted in. I think critical thinking is what is not taught well enough in our school system. Oh, yeah. Um, being able to think on your feet, being adaptable to situations, um, really finding how to make things work, I think, is all about being entrepreneurial. And it just so happens that many business owners are put in those circumstances where they can thrive in kind of the chaos of figuring it out. Yeah. And so that's what I believe an entrepreneur is. There's 
very entrepreneurial minded people within corporate structures, within government structures. They're more so out of, you know, a fish out of water in those um, boxes. But I see a lot of people that just have the capability to adapt. And I think ad adaptability is at the core of that. And, and if 2020 has taught us anything, man, it's been a year of adaptation. So, um, you know, I think entrepreneurs are a way of thinking. And, uh, and, and I, that, that's what I really like to, that's who I like to work with. That's who I like to surround myself with. Many and most are probably business owners where they're self-employed and they own their own business. Mm -hmm. But there are so many people that have that entrepreneurial mindset of just let's figure it out as we go. And, and I feel empowered to do so. So do you think in entrepreneurship, it's really funny that you put it into the brain and the mindset, because I do, I do believe that. But I, I also um, find myself describing entrepreneurs as, you know, like living on the edge because there's a fire burning in their belly a passion, a vision that they absolutely are driven to actualize. Do you agree with that or am I off the mark here? 100%. A good friend of mine, a colleague of mine, had told me years ago when I was getting into financial planning, he said, sometimes you get a hold of an idea and sometimes an idea gets a hold of you. <laughs> and, and I love that. I love the way that he framed that because he, he was on a path to change the financial industry and financial literacy for the masses. Yeah. And he had gotten this inspiration and just had to see it uh, come to fruition. And so for the last, I don't know, however many decades, he has been on this path to and that's what I believe I see in entrepreneurs. You have an idea, you have a vision, you have something that most others can't see besides you, and, it, and you just have to make it happen. And so my company that I have, Seed Level Creativity Lab, my uh, slogan is create the things you wish existed. And so I believe that there are entrepreneurs, there are visionaries out there that see things that others don't, and they have they have just an internal drive to make sure that that happens. And if anything, it exists for them, but I think more so they want it to exist for them and others. And so that's what I see as, as kind of an entrepreneurial mindset. Okay, so say the name of your company again. It's Seed, S-E-E-D, yeah. Level Creativity Lab. Seed level creativity lab. So you're basically like a petri dish. In a lot of ways, yeah. I mean, I I named. I think names have purpose. Oh yeah. You, you should be considerate when you name something. You should make sure that if you're proud of it, you want to put it on your on your building or your shirt. Right. And and for me, seed level had three meanings. Uh, most businesses, uh, organizations need seed capital in yeah. order to get moving. Yeah. Uh, I believe that all good ideas begin like a seed in your mind mm. and that you have to seed those ideas or relationships or whatever, whatever in other people's minds. And then of course the, uh, the biblical parable of the mustard seed, oh, yeah. faith, you know, taking something very, very small inside of you and seeing it grow. I love that. Yeah. yeah and that seed, that mustard seed can be so annoying. <laughs> it can get caught and, and, you know, you just can never stop the experience of it. So what is it, when did you start that, that company? 
seed level? I well, again, it began as a seed in my mind much earlier than, okay. than the, the physical, uh, the corporate uh, paperwork. Okay. I believe I filed for it in 2015, and it really materialized throughout 2016. Mm. So um, I had been I had been working on uh, the precursor plans of what I still wish to build um, for probably 10 years prior to that. Okay. So I had been sitting in my office, which I was a banker for many years. Um, unfortunately, because I worked for my father, he probably would have liked me to be working all the time. But <laughs> at the time, I was thinking about things that rest me through what I think. So, uh, well, should we send him this episode or not? <laughs> absolutely. He's, uh, you know, he's one of my number one cheerleaders. Oh, that's great. Uh, we had our moments, but uh, yeah. Yeah, he loves it. So, when you were sitting in the banker's office, I mean, this is a very traditional, conservative job. I mean, there's creative bankers out there, and I love that. As a matter of fact, I would tease my banker, who will go unnamed, for always winning Entrepreneur of the Year, Entrepreneur of the Year. And I, and I said to him, let me just be clear with you. I love and admire you, and I appreciate every deal that we do back in the olden days when you could do it on a handshake, which is how I love to do business. But... Um, you're not an entrepreneur. And he was like, what? <laughs> how, how dare you? And I said, you know what? You, you get a paycheck. You've got the whole package here. I'm an entrepreneur, which is why I come to you for money. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm, I have to make it out here on my own. So tell me how we're different. He, well, you know, cause he's creative. He's got all these different ideas. <clears throat> I had to honor that. Because he did indeed have a fire in him to do what he was trying to do. So while you were there sitting there being a banker and you were thinking about other things, say more about that. Because you, you had the mustard seed, but why? I mean, you had this beautiful, secure life. Banks are very safe to be in. They're usually beautiful. You probably had a good paycheck. Your life was simple then, wasn't it? Yeah, I had I had everything of anybody you would think could could dream of. I had essentially the American dream. I mean, I had a beautiful wife, two, two and a half kids, you know, white picket fence. Uh, you know, once I was driving a BMW, you know, going to and from a nice job where my father had me employed and I could have stayed for life. Um, you know, for many people, and I don't take it lightly, for many people, they would love to have the life that I had. Yeah. Um, but I was miserable most of the time because I was completely a fish out of water having this entrepreneurial drive inside of me and not enjoying the structure ah. more so living, um, you know, looking, yearning for something that was more exciting, that had a lot more variety that had, you know, that I could use my brain towards thinking up new things and putting them in practice and trial and error and, and just, you know, thriving in an environment that would be more conducive for creativity and reward creativity and, and, and have some fun. Uh, with all of that. So it, it was most of the time that I was thinking I'd rather be doing something else because it just wasn't a good fit for me. Okay. Great, great scenario for the right person. Yeah. But this wasn't a good fit for me. So what were you sitting there thinking about? So I, um, lots of things, probably too, th too many things. And, and in many cases, everything. Okay. Um, <laughs> a, uh, to structure things in a way that I can uh, absorb it for myself and then also hopefully explain it to others. Okay. So I've been trying to organize 
uh, life and business in a way that it was simple. Yeah. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about all the fundamentals that we need in our lives, all the fundamentals that we need in business. I had a great vantage point as a banker to see people from behind the lens because I could look at your bank account and know exactly who you are and what you have. I could see the business operations of all of these uh, companies that were supporting the acquisitions of buildings and homes and, and things along those lines. And I kept thinking there's just some really good fundamentals and, um, you know, basics that go into all of it. And what I was trying to find was the balance in, okay. in, in both life and, and business. And so I spent a lot of time researching how other people had organized their lives, how other people had organized their businesses, and I tried to find the commonalities and patterns and all those things. And so I spent a long time trying to determine how to organize a good life and how to organize a good business. And I think a lot of that was inspired by my uh, high school and college and, and eventually the um, search for a career because I always had this thing inside of me that said, once I find it, watch out world. Really? Really? I think, I think there's so many people that believe that, you know, if I just had that thing that I could put all of my energy into, I would we're left uninspired in so many different areas. And so I, I liked high school. I did well in high school, but there wasn't anything that was burning for me. And so I didn't know what to pursue. Okay. When I looked at college, I thought, oh, I kind of like being creative. Maybe advertising could be a place to go because Mizzou, where I was headed, was, had a good journalism school. Right. That didn't uh, materialize. And then I thought maybe, you know, a legal pathway and looking at the law could be interesting. And my dad said, well, every attorney I know is kind of an asshole. So I <laughs> think an attorney, which in retrospect is probably even more true than not. Um, and so I, I, I went into business because that's what my dad did. And okay. So I think a lot of people pursue a path that they see others uh, in their lives uh, take. And so I went to business didn't really care for that. I ended up switching to a sociology degree because I like people. Uh, it's all that, uh, out of a commodity in the marketplace. Yeah, so, right. Which led me to working for my father, even though I had probably other things that would have lit me up a little bit better than banking. You know what? Here's here's a couple things that I've that I've been running through my mind while you've been telling me this story. First of all, your entrepreneurial birth and how all this happened is a unique story. You're really coming at it from a struggle standpoint. And what's so fascinating to me about this is that um, I can see you sitting in your banking office, and then I can also see, see you sitting in, in college and in high school trying to figure out where's the spark? You know, like, when's it going to happen? What's my purpose? And, and it's, it's intriguing to me because what you've done, my observation of you, is that you're very creative. You're very much a business guy. And you're very creative. And by the way, I love having you on this platform for the influencers because nobody, this is, you know, all the shows are different. But this, this is so unique because people are going to learn here 
a lot of things over time as we are doing this. I forgot to tell you that there was an invisible ink clause on the uh, agreement that we have, and it says that this agreement is forever. So most people think it's like just for a defined amount of time, and it's just no. Because there's so much that we need to tell people, share with people, inspire with people. And, the, you know, the thing that really is bothersome, it, Brian, is that when when I was growing up, critical thinking skills, the teachers were talking about it in when I was in grade school. So this goes back into the 60s. And, and I mean, the big push was, you know, we want you kids to learn critical thinking skills. And I was like, what does that mean? I mean, does that mean they're going to be harsh with us? They're going to be critical? And and I remember asking, you know, raise my little hand, what do you mean? What do you mean critical thinking? And, you know, it was interesting because it really wasn't until I was in um, in high school that I started to really understand it. And then it really wasn't until I was in college that I came to understand it and why. Because the human brain can't do contingency thinking, abstract thinking when you're in grade school. You know, I mean, it's just like starting, which is why algebra should be introduced at a certain age. Because otherwise you just think, why do they have alphabet soups poured, poured all over my paper here? You know, what, what am I supposed to do with this? So you're describing it as, as and now, by the way, so many people we both know are struggling. What's my purpose? What is my purpose here in this life? And some of the best-selling books are about what's your purpose. Yeah. And and so do you know what is your purpose now? Have you found out what your purpose is? I have. And, and it, it took a lot of exploration and um, trial and error. And oddly enough, that's very much a part of the uh, of the recipe. I um, I have determined that my greatest strength is trialing things in life and business and then telling people about it. And so what I've gotten really good at is seeing what's out there, getting a really intimate understanding of it, and then recommending it to others or telling people my experience. And so I've been able to showcase that through business consulting, coaching, whatever you want to call it, uh, getting into, into various businesses, starting my own. Okay. Um, it's a huge variety of, of ways that it materializes, um, but it, it, it's the same recipe. I, I get to throw myself into uh, the, the lion's den, and I get to <laughs> jump on the lion and ride it and go, that, is, that was either terrible or it was, man, what a ride, and, uh, and come back and report to others. And, and I, think if it's, I think it's authentic. I think it's good um, to be honest with people about what it's like. You know? yeah, and right. I think part of the reason I was in banking, part of the reason that I've gone through the various roles that I've had in my life, there was purpose behind it so that I can say, um, this was my experience and I have some relevant understanding of what that means instead of what's, what I had when I came out of college was a whole lot of ideas, uh, and no experience. And so you're not taken very seriously, which, you know, once you're older, you understand, well, it sounds great in theory, but <laughs> in practice. And that's, that's a big difference between an entrepreneur and an educator as well, is that, you know, entrepreneurs know it because they lived it. Yeah. Educators, especially at the uh, university level, many of them are lifers in terms of what they're teaching, and they have no relevant experience. Right, so, exactly. 
difficult to hear uh, how to do something by somebody who's never done it. So what is your favorite thing to do in a day? Other than uh, this, other than this show. I love learning about people. You know, I think people are the greatest, um, are the greatest thing to, well, how should I say this? I like to sit down with folks, learn about them at a deeper level, they are the persona that they right yeah um and learn about them because i think ultimately we all connect on a very human level and so the more that i can learn about folks and what truly drives them because i've gone through that experience myself of trying to find my own fire uh i think i can i can break those walls down very quickly and get the core of somebody and uh and, and help them navigate their path and so that's that's what i love to do so one of the things I'm wondering, in the midst of this seed, this seed company that you have, what what is what is it that you do with people? You're talking about consulting, and you're talking about coaching. Say more about that, because I'm I'm very intrigued. Given everything that you've said, what is what is your what is your style? If somebody is listening or watching to us and they're thinking, I wonder what I wonder what Brian Lent would do with me if I stepped in. So I've you know I've taken this process of learning fundamentals and tried to put it into a curriculum that I follow for myself first. Okay. And, and I recommend to others. And so I've built everything around six areas of life and six areas of business. Oh, okay. Uh, and I think it is showcased in many other people's programs. Mm -hmm. I think there are some, um, you know, just like I believe there are some natural laws in, in science and in religion, I think there are some fundamentals in life and business. And so I have built these six areas of life, which are basically the, the basics of life, communications and uh, understanding who you are on the inside and, and, and how you work. Um, I'm counting. <laughs> holding up my fingers. That's really the, the prime, you know, life overview. Okay. And it goes into kind of your spiritual and emotional understanding, your physical health. Okay. And those three are really your internal life. I see. And you get into cultural or the environmental, um, meaning the places that you put yourself in, the mm. people that you surround yourself with, relational, and then financial. And those three are kind of the exterior part of your life. That correlates over into the business side of things, which with basic fundamentals of, of how you're going to structure yourself um, from a financial perspective, from a legal perspective, what your vision and mission and unique ability is, mm -hmm. what you're putting together, what it is you're trying to accomplish. And then that goes into human resources or what I prefer, human capital, because uh, it's looked on more as an asset. Yes, uh, I agree with you 100% on that. Absolutely. And then um, systems, documentation, and those three categories really take over the operational side of business, which all businesses are able to marketing. Yeah. Uh, and then on the marketing side, I, I break those down into branding, lead generation, and sales. And so. You are like Mr. Detail, man. You have thought about everything. You have incubated this for decades. So the, the, the benefit that I had and what I believe my purpose of working with my father was is he is detail crazy. Really? He details about everything. And, and, and the woman I used to be married to was the same way. I, <laughs> I, I seem to have attracted these two you know, big people in my life 
that always needed the details. Yeah. So I am much more, I think there's general to specific thinkers and specific to general thinkers. Yeah. And I was surrounded by these two people who were constantly asking me, what's the time, what's the date, what's the... <laughs> What are we wearing? How is it going? You know, all of these things, and I just felt inundated with questions. I would bring my father a, a, you know, a proposal or a project, and I think I had thought of everything, and within three minutes, he had just tortured, torched it to pieces. Oh my! So I, I believe I had to develop a skill over, you know, ten plus years of being able to think from the general to the specific and back and forth. Oh yeah. what I've done is I've tried to develop that as a skill to be able to communicate to both styles. Okay. And so, and so that's really what I've tried to, um, to develop over the years. You know, the I, I'm, I am really, I'm zoning in on your spark. And, and what it is that, like, when you wake up in the morning and you're thinking, ah, what is that? I mean, are you like just you thinking about that lion and you can't wait to climb on and just go on the adventure, or do you have the details of what this is? <laughs> I, you know, the de- the details for me just work themselves out. Yeah. Um, I'm I am a, a genuine general to specific thinker, so I think, oh, I've got you know these five or six things that are on my schedule today. Okay. I can navigate my entire day around those six interactions or yeah. events or whatever we're doing. And the details fill in inside of that. And I love so that. I have the benefit of looking at an event. You know, I run a lot of masterminds. And so I'll have a group that I know is coming in. Yeah. And I have no idea yet how the exact details are going to fall in, but they always do. Mm-hmm. And it happens much more uh, organic, which is more of my style. Okay. Uh, even though some of the people around me would prefer more agenda style. Uh, <laughs> but I can play both sides as well. Yeah. You know what I love about this? I'm getting a sense of you in this very relaxed vein that is, if, 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 just in case you didn't know, I can identify it for you. It's an inner confidence. And it's a peace. Even in the midst of uh, 2020, even in the midst of all this uncertainty, the thing that you are certain about is, I know what I love. Yeah. And I know what I love to do, which is why you can do it without an agenda at these masterminds. Because your confidence is what needs to be reviewed will be revealed. Yeah. And you do indeed have an agenda, and that is part of the agenda. It it drives people to distraction, though, some of the time, because they're thinking, well, you know, look to the left, look to the right. (laughs) What do I need to get ready for? And and they want to be prepared. And what I think is beautiful is when, as a leader, and you are a leader, you're a great leader. And and I want to, you know, illuminate that part of you, because a great leader attracts people in does not give them all the answers, but opens the door and provides the platform for them to be there. And then as you're on that teetering of, uh (laughs) uh-oh, entrepreneurship, wait a second, what's the lion walking towards me for? You have to get your inner confidence to be able to straddle that animal and, and, and allow it to go a certain direction, right? 
and, and again, I think I hearken back to that, um, the years of doing other things and kind of going through the motions of understanding business, getting educated, being in the midst of hundreds, if not thousands of business owners, um, and getting that interaction and knowledge of what that brings. There's, you know, I, I had it just like most people had it when you're young, you have the confidence, but it's more built on naivety and, 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 you know, possibility, and yeah. and the, and the there's a an inner confidence that says I can conquer the world, but I don't know how, you know. And so I think that, and I think that's gotten even more prevalent in today's society that we have a we have a young population that on the surface seems extremely confident, and they can they, and they're very capable of learning very quickly and then reiterating those things that they learn, but they don't know anything. Yeah, right. And so you know you can. I will teach somebody who's much younger than me what I know, and I will hear them later that day teaching myself the same thing. And I'll think, you just learned that. You don't know <laughs> it. You just learned it. And so it's, it's a little inauthentic to hear that from somebody who doesn't know it. And, and I think that comes with, with life experience. That yeah. comes with age. Um, you know, I, I remember being... 20 years old and having my father and other colleagues talk to me like, you don't know anything. Right. And now that I'm 20 years plus, you know, I get to do the same thing. And say, <laughs> so one of the things that's beautiful about that is if you hear younger people uh, reiterating what you've said and kind of trying to take credit for it, they're in the process of learning it, practicing it, hearing their own voice. When they really trip and stumble is if anybody asks any questions, <laughs> of course. right? So that they get stuck on that. So when you hear that, what do you do with that? Do you just kind of watch? Do you, do you intervene and say, do you run them through a process of inquiry and, and query them to see what do they really know? It's, um, it's interesting because I've built – the majority of my businesses and organizations over the years in reaction to what younger people want. Oh, really? So I've built co-working spaces that are much more open. They're much more diverse. Okay. There's a lot of different thought. There's fun. You know, my business spaces feel more like restaurants or, you know, a space that you would go in a social setting than they do a corporate setting. Okay. And, they have bells and whistles and they have interactivity and relationships and, and experiences. And that's what I think a lot of the younger folks are looking for. But um, I don't like younger people. I don't, <laughs> I don't feed off of them. Okay. They irritate me because, because of the fact that maybe and it could be just, I'm looking at a younger version of myself and, and I'm irritated by how I thought at that point. Yeah. Because I thought I knew everything. And hadn't had the experience yet. There's a, I shouldn't say all young people. The young people who are that know that they don't know everything, mm -hmm. and they're very eager to learn, and they're very humble. I am attracted to. Mm -hmm. But the ones that come in and utilize their intelligence because they're quick thinking and they have, uh, they're very well versed in technology and they can find the answer very quickly, yeah. but not necessarily know the answer. That irritates me because. They, they want to put themselves on par with all the elders of our society. Yeah. I did as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
want to give credence to the ones that have done it. And so coming into a organization, coming into a situation and telling somebody who has done something how to do it. Um, yeah. And I'm almost feeling myself talking to myself as my father because uh, I've heard my dad say that to me a couple of times. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, you know, this is interesting because quite frankly, um, our culture my observation is that our culture is in quite a bit of jeopardy. We don't know what lies ahead. And we do have a lot of youngsters out here. And when I say youngsters, I mean um, kids in their 20s and, and even still teens, you know, 18, 19 years old. And I consider adolescence to continue, you know, starting at, at prepubescence. Uh, you know, nine to 11 years old, and it goes till you're about 23, that adolescent period, because you're not really launched from childhood into adulthood, adolescence being that wavy, rocky road. So in a way, anytime we hear somebody behaving the way that you're describing, they're really still adolescent, because they're still trying on their identity. Very interesting that you mentioned that, because one of my sociology professors at, at at Mizzou, did his entire thesis on this, on the extension of adolescence. Oh, really? And it was essentially that, you know, older age uh, Americans that went out, well, going way back, you know, you were out on the farm at age 12, 13, right. basically running the place. Yeah. Then we believed that adulthood was at 18, then it kind of went to 21, and then really at my generation, it was closer to 25, because that's when you could drop off of the insurance and other things. Uh, that, you know, you benefited from, from your parents, or you, or you were finishing up college that your parents were paying for. And I believe now we've actually extended adolescence almost to age 30. And, and, and it kind of goes along with the proportions of life because the life cycle has gone from 40 years back oh, when gosh. you were an adult at nine right. to, you know, almost 80 plus years at this point. And so right. you've got this extended period of time that you can figure things out. But we're also handing this younger uh, understanding, especially with athletes and entertainers. And, you know, I just saw something this morning with uh, Justin Bieber, and he made a joke about what happens when you hand an 18-year-old $200 million, you know. And, <laughs> and there's a lot of truth in that. You see some of these athletes and entertainers that get handed this amount of money, and they're expected to understand, yeah. you know, Right, right, exactly. And you know what? At any at any point in time, if somebody handed me that two hundred million dollars, I would get myself in trouble. <laughs> we all so, what is it? What is it that you think, with the work that you do and the visionary that you are, on this lion? Um, what's our sweet spot for our culture? What's our what's our what's our entrepreneurial movement? Are we are we a are we a country of entrepreneurship, or are we a country of people who want to be employed, and just keep it simple? I believe in my core that America is one of the most special things that happened to humanity, um, and and that the individualism that is inside of all of, a, of the American um, appeal. It is what makes it great. And mm. so I think entrepreneurship is at the absolute core of our essence. 
And I think you can see that in our society that with a lot of this bigger business, bigger government, bigger religion type of thinking, where you get masses of people together and say, oh, we're all going to do it this one way. I think there's some, there's some conflict there. I think there's a lot of, of people that want more of the individualistic understanding and the, and the, I can, I can do it better on my own than I can have somebody tell me how to do it. Now, Mm -hmm. there's obviously flavors for both sides. uh, And I think some would prefer it the other way. Um, and, and like having a lot of structure. What, what speaks to the core of both of those, I believe, is figuring out what people are here to do and what their purpose is. There's, there's an author named Poe Bronson who wrote a book called What Should I Do With My Life? Mm-hmm. And I believe he was on a panel discussion with some other about uh, what's going to be the next great wave of productivity. And they said it's going to be you can take two people that are in roles that do not fit in the same company making the same thing, and you can potentially switch their roles and responsibilities, and all of a sudden they're into something that they really enjoy, oh, really? In, internally motivated to do, and their productivity will rise. Now, wait a second. Say that again. You have two people in the same company in the same role? You know, in different roles. Different roles. And yeah. you decide to switch them mm-hmm. just like because, or you see some. If, if, let's say you go into a company and you assess your employees, you ask them actual questions, not just company related questions. You find out what their burning desires are and you determine what kind of work is going to make them more fulfilled. Okay. What is going to align better with their purpose? You take two people that are in those roles and you figure out they're in a mismatch. And so swapping them into the correct roles will identify that internal burning desire and your output will increase automatically because you're now doing something that you enjoy doing. I love that. And, and you will do more. And so if we can identify that in the vast majority of people and just start swapping roles, our productivity will go through the roof. And so you had the agricultural revolution, the industrial, the information age, the next great wave of productivity is going to be the purpose, you know, mm-hmm. finding everyone's purpose. Mm-hmm. And once we find everyone's purpose, look out world. That's amazing. You know, the thing that I worry about with people is I see people going into training, you know, going into college, going into training, getting certifications, and trying to figure out, okay, here's what I think I want to do. And here's the reasons why. And they get in there and they want to start mashing it around. And there's no, you know, this story very well. There's no room for movement. You need to do it this way. You were trained to do it this way. Why are, why are you being defiant? Why are you coming in here and trying to change it? And I think that that, that angst to do it better is what gives everybody that drive entrepreneurially. I I agree with you. I think that United States is uh, the, the United States of America is the land of opportunity because we've had since we landed here this opportunity to make something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. And and I, I actually think that when you go through training, education, certifications, ongoing lifelong learning, you see how it's done. And then if you're creative and you're really attached to what it is that's going on and you come up with the most grand outcome, 
you can't help but be on the lion. You're already mounted on the lion. You're already walking down that path saying, here's another way to do it. And, you know, I'm going to start roaring if you don't let me do it this way. I'm going to have to make a new path. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I, uh, unfortunately, I think our systems, you know, because one of my core fundamentals is, is developing systems. I think the system that has been built for our society um, is a little flawed right now. And I think it, I think our educational system, I think our financial systems, I think some of these bigger systems, and I'm, I'm just naturally uh, allergic to large systems yeah. uh, because they don't allow for the entrepreneurial spirit of, you know, an adaptation very quickly, you know, trying to, trying to change a large ship's, um, you know, trajectory is much more difficult than a smaller ship's trajectory. Right. So I'm, I'm naturally suspicious of, of large institutions, but I think, I think we've developed these systems so that they feed the system and they don't allow for fighting back or, or changing the model or changing uh, things to be more for the individual. And so I, I believe that our educational system teaches people how to work well within the system, right. how to think. Right. So I think it'd be much, much better for us to be teaching critical thinking, teaching entrepreneurial thinking, so that we can have uh, a lot more people considering what's a better way, what's something that works better for, for us here, as opposed to trying to make a one-size-fits-all that works for everybody, because I just don't think that works. You know what's really funny is I I have met, I have met kids in this way who, um, I, you know, so what are you majoring in? You're, you're in college. What, what are you majoring in? Entrepreneurial studies. And I, I think... Is that right? So tell me what that's like. I mean, what do you what are you studying there? And it's a business curriculum with a little bit of sociology blended into it. But I don't. I mean, I have not reviewed the country uh, in terms of their entrepreneurial studies programs. But I don't see two essential things. And I hope we get a wide enough audience that people listen to this all over America and around the world. And they go, man, do you have it wrong? So let's correct you. I invite everybody to write in, call in, chat in, whatever it is you want to do here. But here's the thing. I don't see critical thinking skills being a component of it. I don't see creative thinking and creative exercises being a part of it. What I see is kind of a lockdown, and there's a beauty, a mystery, something kind of sexy about entrepreneurship. And what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to struggle, and then I'm going to launch something really big. And the struggle is the part that people think is really kind of groovy. And I'm thinking, yeah, no, it's not. No, 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 it's not. And the launching of something big, that mustard seed is going to get caught in your teeth. It's going to get caught in your chair. And you never even thought that you could feel a mustard seed when you're sitting down going to get caught in your shoe and it's so annoying isn't it and you have to keep germinating it until it does something I don't see that that is what's being taught in the entrepreneurial yeah you're 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 pressing on something that we have not mentioned yet but an entrepreneur has more perseverance than most people because (laughs) if you if you are not comfortable with failing on an almost daily basis, you cannot be an entrepreneur because it's going to happen over and 
actual going through all of the trial and error in order to get to a good product or a good service. Yeah. And I always push back. I've been to some wonderful educational institutions. I, I'd say I got my, you know, entrepreneurial burn uh, from going to Washington University, which is a phenomenal institution, but they don't necessarily teach entrepreneurialism like I believe they should teach entrepreneurialism. <clears throat> I would actually rather give my child or give an aspiring student $100,000 to get an entrepreneurial education. Yes. I can almost guarantee right. you are going to learn more running a business than you will from one of the greatest institutions in the, in the world. I agree with you on that. And it's not saying that Washington University doesn't do a fantastic job, but I can also get a free library card and go get every single book that they recommend and learn that side of things from the library. Yeah. Which is, I'm a, an enormous uh, proponent of self study. I think I have learned leaps and bounds more than others because I have an insatiable desire to, to know more. Yeah. And so somebody who has perseverance and a library card, I will bet on every day almost over somebody who hasn't done anything and has an MBA. So when you go <clears throat> as a consultant and you do what you do, do you get called into entrepreneurial organizations or really static organizations? And what do they do with you if you want to pull – the switcheroo. Have you done that? I uh, I prefer small businesses. I uh, prefer many cases I'm working with one person to five, ten person style businesses. Um, I think you can get more depth. You can get more into their um, mindset. You can understand them better. You can know them better. Um, you know, I've worked in large organizations, but they're messier. You know, they're they're somebody else's special. <laughs> not, not what I enjoy. I was talking to a, a colleague of mine yesterday. I don't like corporate settings. I don't. I don't even like more sophisticated corporate employees. You know, I can I can talk to anybody, but when I'm in a in in a group of sophisticated C-suite CEOs, you know, and, and CMOs and all these big time guys talking about international trade and um, you know. Reverse swaps and crazy sophisticated <laughs> they use to manage companies. I go, you know, I just glaze over and go, yeah, I want to know what it takes to, you know, keep the lights on and make right. sure that everybody's happy doing what it is that they want. You know, I want to know the nuts and bolts of a, of a, you know, real estate that you're in and, and, and just the fundamentals. That to me is what excites me because I think every business needs good fundamentals and you find that better at the smaller scale. Um, that doesn't mean that it doesn't that it doesn't very easily correlate with larger larger businesses. I think they all need. It. I think everybody needs fundamentals, and that's that's what we're lacking in our educational system. Yeah. You know, I don't know how many times I have heard, why don't they teach you how to run your checkbook in high school? Yes. I have heard dozens, if not hundreds, of people say yeah. that to me, and it's, it's unbelievable that they don't have. You know, they took home economics out of. Cool. You know what? That that was my next statement. Sew. Yeah. I learned how to sew and I still know. I learned how to make some food. I learned how to do some just basic home economics. Yes. And, you know, but you're learning calculus. Right. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Now you and I are completely aligned on this, and 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 really, when you stop and think about it, when you are doing the calculus, you're in a very ethereal kind of in a in a reality, and when you're in home economics, it's about your survival, and that is a form of entrepreneurship, right? 
I mean, yeah. you you got to figure out if you've got if you've got a family of five, how are you going to feed them? How do you figure out what the bills are? I admire stay-at-home moms more than any other role on the planet. Yeah. Because it, parenting is the hardest role for me yeah. to fulfill. Yeah. And these stay-at-home moms or dads yeah. that can do this, it's it's like super people to me. Mm. I just am amazed by people that can do this day in and day out because I, I do it for 20 minutes and I'm exhausted. <laughs> well, you know, in your in your space. Uh, riding the lion and what we'll be talking to our audience again about on, on Tuesday um, is the St. Louis Business Club. And yeah. so within the St. Louis Business Club, as the inventor of that, as the founder of that, you bring together people into that space, that physical space, and now also that virtual space. And you're really, it seems to me, and it, and it sounds to me, and it looks to me, like you're infusing everything that we've talked about during this hour into that population. And obviously they're there, not just because of the physical space, but they want that from you. Yes. And it's been, um, I've had the benefit of running um, similar organizations and groups for five plus years. And the model has been the same all along. I have tried to instill in everyone that, we we do better when we collaborate. Mm-hmm. We do better when we identify what's good in each one of us, and we and we focus on those strengths, and we and we cross promote, and we and we share responsibilities amongst one another. And um, it's all been built on this fundamental curriculum. It's just taken on different organizations and different styles in order to get the same thing accomplished, which which is really let's all get a good understanding of what our fundamentals are, then mm-hmm. find your sweet spot out of that and go specialize in that. But make sure that your fundamentals are in balance first. And mm-hmm. that's where I think in education and, and, and really continuing education in our businesses. And I always say that the, the St. Louis Business Club really represents continuing education for life and business because you have real estate agents, you have medical professionals, you have all these different modalities that have continuing education to keep them fine-tuned on what they do. And life is just continuing education in and of itself. And in many cases, entrepreneurship is continuing education. But who can you have to assist you and yeah. help you and maybe accelerate some of that growth? And so the business club is made up of, of masters or experts in each one of those arenas that we can, that we can put in front of you to help you you know, navigate some of those things. You know, that's such an amazing um, reality. It's so funny because you know about my involvement with uh, taking on the Missouri Venture Forum. And, you know, the oldest organization for entrepreneurs in St. Louis and in the St. Louis metropolitan area, now in the 36th year. And one of the things that is interesting was, you know, that that group came together because they were just a bunch of business guys that were meeting for breakfast once a month on Fridays. And they started saying things to each other like, you know, my kids are grown. I put them through the best schools here and the best, you know, sent them away to college. And now they've got this great idea and they're taking it elsewhere. They're leaving, they're leaving St. Louis. What are we going to do? We better figure out a way to keep them here by, by setting them up with the right vendors and, and, and then providing opportunity here and, and funding investment, you know, either angel or capital or banks or whatever. And it's a beautiful model, 
But here's one of the things that happened in the midst of that. Now, 30 years later, 30 years later, the model is, you know, come in from anywhere and you can be here and get funding and make all this happen. It is the land of fertility. Um, but come in here and, you know, suffer. There's a thing called, you know, like entrepreneur scourge or, or whatever. And, and so you and your environment, I've been talking about well-being in that, in that environment. And people look at me and they get excited for a minute. And then they think, well, no, 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 well, we can't, we don't distract us. So I love what you're doing at the business club, the St. Louis business club. I love that we're here every week, twice a week, because there's so much messaging and education and guidance that we need to provide for people. So bless your heart for being here. In the last 30 seconds, what do you want to say? <laughs> um, you know, it, it, I, I want to inspire people to reach out to one another and be authentic and uh, showcase where they need help and ask for help. To do that by telling everybody else. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that that's Brian's call for help from me. <laughs> All right, Brian, you got it always. Well, this is this has been delightful and exciting, and I love it that we've launched now this show. And this is your host, Dr. Deb Carlin, with my co-host Brian Lunt. And until next time, here's how it goes: we do the peace out. And we do the end the episode.